Two of you, all right, all right, the rest of you, no, you guys are perfect. You guys need to pray for everybody else. So hope when you blow it. We all make mistakes. Some of us make small ones. All of us make big ones. Is this true? Regrets. Never want to make a mistake and you just feel like I've blown it, I've screwed it up. Never going back. Well, who told you that? We all hurt people. I don't know if you're aware of that. People hurt us and we hurt others, right? what happens. We make mistakes. We make regrets. Shouldn't have sent that email. Shouldn't have sent that text. Shouldn't have said those words. Shouldn't have took that action. Right? Come on. It's getting quiet in here. You're like, oh man, yeah. Well, we all make mistakes. But the mistake you don't want to do, so I'm going to lead it in with this. The mistake you don't want to do is you don't want to miss God's purpose and mission for your life. You don't want to miss that. There's a lot of mistakes you can make in this life, but the one thing you don't want to miss and the one mistake you don't want and the one choice you don't, you, you want to make a choice towards is God's purpose and mission in your life. So before we kind of look at, you know, someone who made a lot of mistakes and did something really crazy, I want you to understand what God has for you. Ephesians 2.10 says, you are his workmanship. You're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in him. You're created for a purpose. And when you come to Jesus and you give your life to Jesus, the potential to meet that purpose has just come to you. You're divinely designed by the Lord. You cannot achieve anything outside of his economy and outside of that relationship. According to your design, you can achieve a lot of things in human effort, but you have a purpose. Everybody know what I'm talking about? You feel like you have a destiny. You feel like there's something you're supposed to do. You feel like you're supposed to leave an impact. There's just something. You don't even know what it is, but you feel like, is there anybody here, right? You know what I'm talking about? You're on the earth for a reason. You don't know why, but you're on the earth for a reason. Some of you know why, or some of you have an idea. The Bible says that when we come to Christ, we become his workmanship. God's working on you. And what is he working on? What is he trying to build? Where is he trying to do? He's trying to build you into the good works which God has prepared beforehand. You are made for something. And when you come to Christ, the Lord takes your life and begins to work on, the, on your life to move you towards the things that he's created for you. You have to partner with that. You can either go with the flow or you can go the other way, right? John 17, 18, the Bible says your word is truth. And Jesus is praying and he says in the same way, Father, he's praying, he's commissioning his disciples you're his disciple. He said, in the same way you gave me a mission in the world, I give them yes, the a mission way, in the Father, world. Right? This is a Greek word. In the same way you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. Right? This is a Jesus? Greek <laughs> Jesus? <laughs> Uh, sound engineer, please solve that problem. Uh, sound engineer, what is that? Solve that what problem. should we do? Let's see. We should play with this. What should we do? What is that? Do you still have the echo? What? <laughs> Which reminds me of a story. Greek mythology. Anybody know who Narcissus is? Right. Narcissus was a really good-looking dude, and he would lay around in a pool. He wouldn't do anything except stare at himself in a reflecting pool all day long. And you know who his best friend was? It's true. This is the mythology. 
in uh, Greek mythology. His best friend was Echo. So not only did he like to look at himself, he liked to hear himself talk. I'm amazing. You're amazing. You're so handsome. You're so handsome. <laughs> anyway, moving on. You have a mission in the world. God's given you a mission. Jesus said the same reason that the Father has given me a mission. It's so I send you. It's Greek word apostolos. It means sent one. Say it. I'm a sent one. Oh, come on. I'm a sent one. Ladies and gentlemen, you are at Elevate. We need some gusto, right? Say it with me. I'm a sent one. There we go. There we go. Mark 8.35, if you insist on living a life for yourself, you will lose it. Only those who give their lives away for my sake and the gospel will ever know what it really means to live. Right? You're designed for him. In him you live, move, and have your being. Living for yourself and doing it your way, you can do a lot of things that way, but it will only produce emptiness. If Jesus isn't involved, there is not life. Anywhere the Lord is not present or actively integrated, there is no life. Lifeless businesses, lifeless marriages, lifeless living, lifeless relationships, lifeless thinking, because Jesus isn't there. You have to bring him in there. That's another story for another time. Some people say, well, I've blown it, Kevin. I believe I'm created on purpose with a purpose. I believe I have a hope. I believe there's a destiny, but you don't understand. I'm, I'm, I'm old now. I just came to Jesus, and I'm past the age, or I just am now understanding this. I'm past my prime, right? Everybody say good news. Good news. Scripture is filled. The dominant story of people who achieved anything in Scripture they did it on the back side of their life, not the front side. The most effective work God does in the lives of people is never on the front side of their life. It's always on the back side. And do you know why? Because you got to, basically, you got to, well, I'm just going to be blunt. You got to get the, life's got to beat the crap out of you first, right? And then you got to learn a little bit so that you make wiser choices than you did when you were younger. Our culture doesn't, it doesn't send this message to us, particularly in America. It's a youth-driven culture. If you've not made a million dollars by the time you're 30, well, you're useless. There's huge depression among this generation because they haven't achieved something by the time they're 30. What? Right? It's a lie. It's not true. It's a lifestyle over a lifetime. It's a kingdom lifestyle over a lifetime. Who told you you're too old? Who told you you couldn't start now? No, seriously, who told you that? Did Jesus tell you? Did Jesus tell you? Did Jesus say, I can't do anything? You just really screwed this up? You've wasted too much time. There's nothing left. Did he tell you that? No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Y'all heard of Kentucky Fried Chicken, right? He was in his 60s when he started that, right? Y'all heard of Barnum and Bailey Circus? Y'all know that? You know how old he was when he, he was in his 60s when he started that? Right. And you think you're too old? Who told you that? Come on. You think you've gone too far? You think you've wasted too much time? Jesus is the great multiplier. He can do more with 10 years than you can do with 50. He can do with more with five years than you can do with 50. He's the multiplier and the amplifier. Little becomes much when it's placed in his hands. The key is stop wasting time. The key is stop blowing it. Start now. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next year. Now. Now. What better message or what better word the start of the year? Scripture's filled with stories. 
of these things. So we can learn, say with me, I can learn by experience, I can learn by example, or I can learn by explanation. Somebody said, someone should say this. Yeah, have you ever heard this story? That experience is the best teacher? You know what I'm talking about? That's not true. Evaluated experience is the best teacher. Say it with me. Evaluated experience is the best teacher. You can have all the experience in the world, but you never evaluate the experience and you keep doing the same thing. In the words of Forrest Gump, stupid is as stupid does, right? You keep doing the same thing over and over again. You have a lot of experience in that area. Some people have a lot of experiences in failure. And they don't know why, because you've never evaluated the why. You've never looked at that and evaluated the experience. Success is the same way. People have success. What would happen if you could evaluate the success and look at the key components of that? That's another story. We're going to look at a guy who blew it big time. His name's Jonah. Jonah's the son of a prophet. So he grew up in a family of the prophetic. He grew up in a prophetic culture. He grew up around his father, watching his father do the ministry that God had set before him. And the Bible says that one day, God spoke his promise to Jonah, the son of Amittai. So Amittai means faithful. So we're going to look at some of the stuff with Jonah. And Jonah, so what you need to understand, is he's born. He, did, he, didn't, he didn't just come to, the Lord speaks to him, and he's born of a family. Amittai means faithfulness. So Noah was born into and born through faithfulness. <laughs> and that's the complete opposite of what he did, right? Say it with me. My life mission, my life's mission will come from God's word. You want your life's mission? It's going to come from God's word. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And what is God's word? God's word is the logos, which is the written word. God's word is the rhema, which is the revelation word. And God's word is the prophe or the prophetic word. Some of you have prophetic words spoken over your life. Some of you have destiny and calling that's been placed upon you prophetically. And you've done nothing with it. Others of you have revelatory understanding as you've read scripture, as you've God has spoken to you, and he's given you rhema. Rhema is a revelation, an insight that's only experienced through the spirit. You can't have this insight any other way. It's spiritually revealed. You're not going to intellectually understand things that are spiritually revealed. It's rhema. Others, you see things in the scripture, and there's a logos word for you, right? Go into all the world and preach the gospel, and you're like, Pfft. That sounds like me, right? Nonetheless, your life mission is going to come from God's word. Your destiny and calling is going to come from that. Whether it's a prophetic word, a rhema, a revealed word, or whether it's a logos word, a scripture that God gives you. When you say this, my life's mission requires faith. And ready, here it comes. Action. Lights, camera, action, Christian. You're already on stage. There is no dress rehearsal. The game is on, and you're on the field. And you can either learn your position, learn the plays, or you can get run over by everything that's going around you, going on around you. The play's already happening. Your life's mission requires action. Modern church, you know, what's the book? So we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What's the next book? Anybody? Acts, the book of action, isn't it? 
If you look at the modern church, you think it's the book of sitting. No, it's true. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and everybody sit down. No, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, action, go, manifest this story, manifest this kingdom. Action, Christian. Your life's mission is not only going to come from the Word of God, it's going to require you to do something. The Lord speaks to Jonah and he says, I want you to get up and go to the city of Nineveh. Everybody say it with me. Get up. Right. <laughs> Clearly Noah was lying down, or Jonah, and he was just hanging out. Okay, Sarah, Sarah. You know, playing around on Facebook. Maybe he's playing some, you know, I don't know, black ops. I don't know. He's just chilling. Not doing much. Wasting his time stretching, scratching, walking around. The Lord's like, Jonah, get up. Go to Nineveh. Why don't you say it with me? Get up, step out, and go. Say this with me. Christianity is not passive. It is intentional. Christi this kingdom is not passive. You just don't sit by and like, ah, you know, it's intentional. It's not a spectator sport. It requires an intent on your part, an alignment of your life, and a willful intention to do whatever it takes to achieve the things that God has set before you. And if you don't, you're going to get run over. And if you don't, the enemy will rob you blind. He will rob you blind. Right? You ever seen lions? They pick off the one that's just kind of standing around not doing anything. It's another story. So your life mission requires action and faith. Say this, my life's mission will affect change into the lives of others. He tells them, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and tell them that I see the evil and the corruption going on here and I will not ignore it, I will change it. So God tells Jonah, get up, Jonah, and go tell these people, go tell the hurting and the suffering that I'm going to do something here, and go tell the perpetrators of all of this nonsense that they got 40 days. They got 40 days. Jesus cares about hurting people. It doesn't matter what you do with your life, in some way, whatever you do, if you make phone applications, you should make phone applications that affect people's lives for the better. If you create systems, you should create systems that affect people's lives for the better. No matter what you're doing, whatever God has called you to do, the, the sum total of a Christian life, and I know this is very generic what I'm about to say, but you can at least get the header. The, glory, the, the, the purpose of your life is to glorify Jesus, to bring Him honor. And the second part is to create the common good the well-being and the welfare of the world around you. We are light of the world. We are cities on a hill. We are lights in darkness, are we not? We are to create the well-being and the welfare of the world around us. We are to create culture. That's the Genesis mandate. Renew. Renewal. This is what we're supposed to do. So whatever it is you do, whatever your life's mission is, it should affect change for the positive. Whether it's kingdom ministry, whether you're singing songs or anything like that, it should, you, the two things you're working off of, does this glorify the Lord and does, does this help people? Maybe you're helping an individual client. I don't know what you're doing, right? But this is kind of like where it goes. This is your life's mission is going to affect change in the lives of others. Maybe you defend people. Maybe you're a justice warrior. I don't know what, I don't know what your calling is. I don't know what your mandate is. 
It may not be with people, but it is to affect the lives of people around him. And God's telling Jonah, I love this. I love the story of Jonah. One of the things I like about Jonah is God didn't tell him how to deliver the message. Jonah did not like the Assyrians. So the city of Nineveh is in this, the nation of Assyria. And Assyrians and Jews didn't like each other. The Hebrews didn't like each other. They were at war, right? Long story behind that. But nonetheless, they had blood feuds. It was constant border skirmishes and vengeance going on between them. The Assyrians were not good people. They were wicked. They were cruel. They were oppressive. They would cut the nose off of the faces of their captives, or they would cut their ears off and their nose. They were brutal. If the Assyrian took you captive, they would put a hook in your jaw, and they would lead you by chain through the jaw or through the nose. They were brutal. There's stories in history that talk about the Assyrians. This is who these people are. And Jesus is going, hey, go and tell them to repent, or I'm going to burn it to the ground. This is what he's saying. Alexander the Great, when he came across war captives of the Syrians, and they were so mutilated that they were almost outcasts of society, Alexander's created cities in which the, the captives of the Assyrians could go and find refuge, right? Because he was so appalled at the way that they had treated these people and made them what they were. They would put people's eyes out. They would take the warrior and put the eye out. Right? They would put their eyes out. They would do all kinds of wicked and cruel things. And there are people within that society, within that government, within that system who are hurting. There are people within that system, within that society, who had been abused by that system. There are people within that system and within that society who were oppressed by it. And so while Jesus isn't looking at the system itself, he's looking at the after effect of it. And so he's telling him, you need to change this because I care about these people. And if you don't change it, then I'm changing you. Right? And this is what he sends Jonah to do. So your life's mission is going to affect change upon people. Say this with me. <laughs> My life's mission will freak me out. If it ain't bigger than you, you know, it's not of God. And what happens when we get this life's mission or we see these things, immediately we're like, wow. And then all of a sudden we're like, whoa. You know? And most of the time, like Jonah, we run from it because we don't feel we have what it takes to, to accomplish what's set in front of us. Anybody here? One? Come on. Anybody here? God sets something in front of you, the dreams and the desires of your heart. God sets a vision in front of you, a purpose in front of you, a mandate in front of you, and immediately you're over your head. Immediately. Say it. I cannot do it without him. And he will not do it without me. He won't. Say it with me. Dreams and visions are invitations. They're not guarantees. So when God sets a dream and a vision in front of you, he's not guaranteeing it. He's inviting you. He shows you a hope and a future, and he says, right this way. But he's not going to bring the hope and a future and put it in your lap. Right? It's not a FedEx package that's coming to your door. God is inviting you into a hope and a future. He's inviting you to engage in a greater reality and a greater purpose and a greater destiny. You, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have what it takes. Say it with me. I don't have what it takes. And then, yeah, let me just let that marinate. You don't have what it takes. I want to give you another one. Ready? Hold the chair. If I say hold the chair. Hold the chair. Say it with me. Jesus has no confidence in me. I'm just going to leave that out there. Let you linger. Get a little uncomfortable. What do you mean? Say this. He has full confidence in the Holy Spirit 
who is within me. So when he's calling you and setting something before you, he's not looking at you going, oh man, you got what it takes. Man, your skill set's amazing. I've just never seen anything like it. We got to give this girl an assignment. It's not what he does. He creates you and sees that he has the fabric and the tools within you or the, the, the structure within you to accomplish something. And so he aligns you with that structure. But he's not looking at you going, oh, you're so amazing. You ever, you, the Holy Spirit, again, amplifies. The Holy Spirit takes you and transcends beyond your natural abilities. Anybody know what I'm, thinking, I'm talking about? Right? And so when we run from our destiny or we run from something that's set in front of us because of our feelings of inadequacy or because it doesn't line up with our vision or because we fear that we fear the opinions of other people, we're diminishing ourselves completely. And if you believe that it's all about you or that you got, God has given me this, therefore I must achieve it. No way. The Israelites, when they took the promised land, what, what did they say? We can take the land. Why? Because God is with us. We are doing this in partnership and in concert with him. We're not doing this on our own. And the people's perspective was wrong. They saw their inadequacies. They saw their insufficiencies. God saw his spirit and God saw his sufficiency. Anytime you're looking at yourself, you've lost. This kingdom does not operate like that. So anytime it's self-perception or the way that you're seeing this in light, like what I have to do, no, you have to partner with the Lord. That's what you have to do. And you have to develop that relationship to a very deep level. And when you can develop that intimate, deep level in the communion with the Holy Spirit, this is why the church is neutered, right? So we have measure and we have fullness. What I'm speaking of you from you is to the context of fullness. If you want fullness, this is how you get fullness. You can be average, but you're called to be exceptional. And if you're called to be exceptional, then you must do things that you've never done and you must live in a manner in which you have never lived. Or be like the crowd. Or be average. If you want to be average, you've got a lot of people, a lot of friends. You can even be exceptional among the average, but you're still diminished in the destiny and calling that God has placed upon you. Choice is yours. He's not going to make you. He's inviting you. Your life mission is going to freak you out. That's a fact. That's a fact. You're not going to know what you're doing. You're going to go, honey? <laughs> get out from your father's house. And get out from your father's family and go to the place that I will show you. And I'll make a great and mighty nation over you. That's what he told Abraham. Imagine going home, telling your wife, hey, what are we doing? I don't know. We're leaving. Where are we going? I don't know either. <laughs> When we get to the stop sign, are we going right or are we going left? I have no idea. Ladies, my husband's just not a spiritual leader. He never knows where he's going. If he knows one step, he knows where he's going. Oh, come on, guys. I'm trying to help you out, right? All the dudes are like, I'm not saying anything. She's sitting next to me, man. I don't know. I don't know. If he knows one step, he knows where he's going. If God has given him a direction and one step, he knows where he's going. Cause, amen. Because that's all it takes is that one step. We want guarantees. We want it all worked out before we ever begin. And again, say it with me. The kingdom does not operate that way. Say it. There are no guarantees. Jesus is the guarantee. Yeah? Most people never start. They never step out because they want the guarantee. There is no guarantee. He's the guarantee. He backs up what he says. He backs it up. If you'll follow him, 
If you'll do what he told you in light of that, he'll back it up. He'll back, he doesn't back, listen, he, this is, a, again, a big misnomer. He doesn't back up what you do. He backs up what he says. He rescues you in what you do. Because when you do it, it's, it has an inevitable failure attached to it. Because you're building it on sand and Jesus isn't involved. You may succeed, right? Like the rising and the falling of the tide. You look at the stock market, look at people's lives, they build them upon themselves. And the rising and the falling of the tide, you walk of marriages built upon themselves, the rising and the falling of the tide. Jesus rescues you in what you do. But he backs up what he says. He guarantees, you want to guarantee? Did he tell you? He's going to guarantee it. If you do this, Kevin, I'm going to guarantee it. And you know what, you know what, that, you know what, what it is that he's put in front of you? is a series of steps, Right? It's going to be a series of steps, and some of those steps, say it with me, some of those steps I don't want to take. Right. You're not going to, he's telling Jonah to go to a people that he can't stand. These people have raped and pillaged my nation for decades, Lord, and you're telling me to go and preach repentance to them? This is what you want from me? I don't agree. I don't like that step. I don't like what you're telling me. I don't know if this is the exact path I want to go. And you stay the same. You stay the same. You believe a lie that God's not good. You believe a lie that he will not, that your plan is better than his. That's what we believe. We believe lies. Well, we're truth tellers, but in our souls we believe lies. How do you know? Because your lifestyle reflects it. Yeah. Your choices reflect what you believe. Yeah. Exactly. But Jonah, say it with me, but Jonah ran away from the presence of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? He didn't run away from the assignment. He ran away from the presence because his presence is on the assignment. His anointing is on the assignment. And so when Jonah was running, he wasn't running away from the direction God told him to go in. He was running away from the very anointing that God wanted to put on his life. Yeah. What you're running from is your freaking destiny. What you're running from is the weight of the anointing and the substance and the manifestation of his glory that God wants to bring through your life. You think you got a better plan. You do. You do. How do, I, how do you know all this, Kevin? Because he's beat it into me. Right? I'm not an observer of this kingdom. I'm a practitioner. I'm not a theorist. I'm a combat general. I put my nose on the line. I go in because I want to see if it's real. I'm not speaking in theories. I'm not speaking in concepts. I'm speaking from reality. This is how it works. It doesn't work any other way. It doesn't. You run because you're inadequate. You feel unsure. You have false perspectives. Say it with me. Running. <laughs> it's going to get better. Just hold the line. It's going to get better. Right? Running has consequences. It does. Running has consequences. When, when uh, Noah, Jonah, star Noah, Jonah started to run, he began a downward slide. Do you want, in four chapters, I think 16 times in four chapters, the word down is used. Down, 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 down. Right? So what's the message of the book of Jonah? If you run, it's going down. Right? And you're going to slide down. And it's going to keep going down. 
and it's going to keep going down, and it's going to keep going down. But Joseph was afraid. See? Fear. And he ran away from the Lord. I don't have what it takes. I don't even like these people, but I don't think I have what it takes to do what you're telling me to do. And it says, And he went down to the seacoast, to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. And he bought a ticket and went on board, and he climbed down into the darkness and began to hide upon the ship. Some of you are hiding in the darkness. You've gone down into things, and you're hiding from the very thing that you're supposed to do. You don't want anybody to see you. You're just hiding there, waiting for it to go. He begins a downward slide. Say it with me. If I run, it won't get easier. It's not going to get any easier. It's not going to change. Right? It won't get better, but you will get bitter. Because what will happen is your lifestyle and your choices will not produce the desired end that you, you want. The only way you're going to get that is with the Lord. Period. What's that look like? That's a complicated story that, we, that needs better understanding, but you at least need to understand this. That if you leave Jesus out, it's not going to get better, it's only, but you will get bitter. Because you're going to keep building and building and building and building and building, and it won't be what you want. Or that you'll eat your bread, but you'll have bitterness with it. And you'll be resentful. The Bible says, by a man's choices, he brings calamity, yet his heart rages against the Lord. By your choices, you build this world, but you blame him. Right? It's not my fault. God forbid. Couldn't be my choices. God forbid. It's your fault. <laughs> he doesn't do it without you. He does it with you. You're not created for yourself. Let's just reinforce that. Say it. I'm not created for myself. In him, I live. In him, I move. In him, I have my being. And you can learn that and begin to apply that or you can learn that the hard way. Jonah's about to learn it the hard way. Right? Say it with me. If I run, there's a price to be paid. Jonah paid the price to sail to Tarshish. Jonah 1.3. One translation says he bought a ticket. Another translation says he, bought, he paid the price. Right? I like the one where it says he paid the price. He paid the price for his running going to cost you. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you more than you want. It's going to cost you more than you're willing to pay. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you relationally. It's going to cost you with destiny. It's going to cost you with time. It's going to cost you with opportunity. I had a woman, this is just within the month, she's pretty new to Elevate, she came to me and she said, I feel like I have wasted my time in compromising in weak churches. Right? It gets better. You know what she said? I feel like it has cost my family she said, it has cost me time, it has cost my relationship, because I have lived my life in weak and compromising churches. That's what she told me. And I was like, well, I hope we don't fit that bill, but welcome to Elevate. <laughs> There's a price to be paid. He paid the price to sail to Tarshish. Relational, destiny, time, and opportunity. Opportunity. Ah, opportunity. Opportunity. Let me just talk to you about opportunity because people get all locked up on lost opportunities. God's going to bring the opportunity around again if you'll reposition yourself. It's not going to be the same opportunity, but it'll be in the same category. Right? That opportunity that you didn't get or that you didn't step into or you didn't take advantage of, it's gone. It's in the wheel of time. Time wheels around our lives. 
And what time really does is opens and closes doors of opportunities. Your choices construct your life. More than anything else, your choices will construct your life. Your gifts and your talents will not. Your gifts and your talents are your abilities to achieve the things that God has set before you. But your gifts and your talents don't mean anything unless you construct your life with the right choices. True. True. Open and closing opportunities. Open and closing opportunities. And you miss the opportunity. And what happens is, is people get, they get connected to that opportunity and they waste even more time going, oh, I lost that opportunity. And they just follow it around the wheel of time. And they're looking back for something that was 10 years ago because they've been locked on that opportunity and they're following around the wheel of time, not realizing or understanding that something else will come. It won't be that exact thing, but it will be in that, yeah, I lost that business opportunity. I lost that contract. Oh, that was a million-dollar opportunity. Well, when was that? 1987. Dude, it's 2020, right? You know people like that? Stuck in a moment, right? Stuck in a moment. They can't get out of it, right? God will provide it by faith. He'll provide another opportunity. Say it with me. There's no such thing as luck. It's called being ready. Opportunities will come. Are you ready? God will open doors. Are you ready? Oh, we say we are, but you're really not, right? I want to get married. I'm waiting for that opportunity. Are you ready? I'm ready for my destiny. Are you ready? People believe for dreams and visions, and I watch it, and the opportunity goes boom in front of them, and they go, because they're not ready. They're not ready. They have not prepared themselves for the things that God has told them they're going to have. They've not positioned themselves in a manner in which the, that, that aligns with what God has told them they're going to have. And then the opportunity comes and the opportunity goes. Or they live passively by, never living intentionally. This is why Christians miss marks of the kingdom all the time, because they cannot discern what is rightfully in, right in front of them. They cannot understand that that's the opportunity. I'll give you another one. I was working with this girl. I was talking to her. We're doing sing on deliverance. So somebody brings her to me. I'm talking to her, and I'm, and she's, and I'm explaining things to her, and I'm trying to do, do a little bit in her life. But one thing she says to me, she says, um, she's like, oh, God's going to deliver me. God's going to do, this is what I do, right? And so I'm standing there, and I, you know, talk to her. I'm, I'm, I don't volunteer myself for nothing. I'm just sitting there looking at her going, okay. And I go, well, how will you recognize the opportunity when God How will you recognize that? She's standing in front of me. I've already told her what I do. I've already given her, like, 15 examples of what God will do for her. And again, I'm not volunteering myself. I'm just standing there. And she keeps saying, God's going to do it. God's going to do it. And I go, how will you recognize the opportunity? And she's like, oh, I'll know. I'll know. And I was like, okay. <laughs> if you knew the gift of God that was sitting in front of you, you would ask. The woman at the well. Jesus is like, your bigger problem isn't the drink. Your biggest problem is discerning who is sitting in front of you. Discerning who I am, discerning what I am. If you understood that, you would go a lot further. But because you don't, you live as an outcast. You live as a pariah. You won't come to the well with all the other women because they're going to talk about you. Because you think your past identifies you. You don't understand. You don't discern that your past doesn't identify you. I'm the only one that carries the legal right to give you an identity. I'm the only one. 
And if you understood who was in front of you, things would be different. But because you can't understand who's in front of you, nothing's different. Nothing. Opportunity of a lifetime, and you can't figure it out. People diminish Jesus. Do you understand who he is? Do you understand what he is? Do you understand the kingdom and the power that's been committed to you? You're unstoppable. Unstoppable. And until you understand that and align your life with it, Here's the thing. Well, if we're unstoppable, pastor, then why do I keep getting stopped? I can tell you there's a thousand reasons why you're getting stopped, and not one of them is Jesus. Not one. Not one. Your biggest problem is the person in the mirror. The way you think, the way you believe, your perspectives of God, and the choices that you make in your life, and the self-centered nature from which you live. That's your problem. Does that condemn you? No. But it disqualifies you from destiny. There's no condemnation upon you at all. You're loved on your worst day. You're perfectly loved and perfectly accepted. But if you're asking for destiny, you go, well, what if Christians don't want destiny? Every Christian wants destiny. And do you know why? Because the God of destiny lives within them. The lion is roaring for it. Right? The Holy Spirit is alive and it will push towards those higher places. And he's hungry for it. That's why nothing else satisfies. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't eat junk food. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. He is not satisfied with plastic imitations. He's not satisfied with cult, world culture. He's not satisfied. He's not satisfied with church culture. What he hungers for is kingdom culture. That's where he's hungry. And so he's compelling you in you towards it you know we lock him in a cage you just stay there i'll let you out if i need you another story for another day right there's a price to be paid say it with me if i run i'm gonna run into opposition jonah 1 4 for as the ship was sailing the lord sent an opposing wind <laughs> How many times have you heard the Lord tell you something? I don't know if anybody's in the room. And you're like, okay, and then you, you, you go and do your own thing. This is me entirely, entirely. I don't hold this position out of ego, right? I didn't want it. I don't want it. No, I don't want it. No, I don't want it. I had an own vision for my life. And I would say, okay, I'll serve you over here, Jesus. I'll serve you over here. And I was, but I was, you know, you tell me you're not giving me your best, Kevin. I had a dream. My right hand was tied behind my back. He said, you serve me, not with both hands. You withhold your strength and give it to another. You withhold the best of you and give it to another. Right? It took me a long time to get to that place. And do you know why? Because I had false perceptions and beliefs as to what it was he was asking me to do. I understood it conceptually, but my understanding was framed by the way that I thought. My understanding was framed by the way that I perceived God. I perceived God in light of church culture. I'll just put it that way. Church culture is severely limiting to the Christian. You cannot understand the Lord based upon church culture. You must understand him based upon kingdom culture. From his world to ours. On earth as it is. The mind of Christ. You say, I have no idea what it looks like. That's true. Because we don't teach it. Stick around. We'll teach it. You're running into opposition. The Bible says God resists the proud. Some of you are like, but I love him. I want to date him. And the wind of opposition is blowing. Right? 
Some of you are like, I want to move to Atlanta, and the wind of opposition is blowing, right? I want to take that job, and you start to take that job, and the door opens, and the wind of opportunity is blowing, or the wind of resistance is blowing. There's two different types of wind. Some is contrarian from the Lord, and others are resistance. And you have to learn to discern the two. And how do you know the two? Because if the Lord says, take that job, and you're being resisted, then it's contrary. That wind is not of him. But if the Lord said, don't take that job, and you do, you just need to get your pencil out and write down the day because the wind is coming. He will, he will not. He will not allow that to succeed because it's not. You have to understand as a Christian, you are symbiotically bound to this gospel. Every part of you is bound to him. Jesus is an accessory. He's not an accessory. He's the total of all things. And we treat him like he's an accessory. And we wonder why our lives don't prosper because we refuse to integrate the fullness of our life into him. Yeah. And again, we wonder. So as you live in, again, not church culture, as you understand, release, activate, experience, engage in kingdom culture, so your life will go. As you deny ignorance, arrogance, willfulness, whatever you want to call it, and you refuse, so your life will go. Because you are bound to the kingdom culture, Christian. You are bound to it, right? Paul said it's not easy, to, Jesus told Paul, it's not easy to kick against the goads, is it, Paul? He said, why are you resisting me? How am I resisting, Lord? Who are you? He tells him, and he says, it's not easy to kick against the goads. It's not easy, to, that's big thorns. It's not easy to keep kicking against a thorn bush. In sandals. <laughs> You're going to get bloody, cut, and hurt, and in pain, and you may end up getting infected, and it's going to get swollen, and all kinds of stuff, and now you can't walk anymore because you keep kicking against the goads. Number four, if I run, come on, help me. If I run, things are going to fall apart, and I'm going to start throwing away good things. The opposing wind created such a massive storm that the ship was in danger of breaking apart, Jonah 1.4. You keep running, things are going to start falling apart. You keep diminishing Jesus, you keep trading Jesus and negotiating Jesus, and, you know, this is what we do. You know, Jesus has got to become your non-negotiable. This kingdom is your non-negotiable. Whatever he says, you do. Right? We negotiate church. Well, I don't feel like going today. It's not important. Oh, we're going sailing? No, we're going to sleep today. When the Bible directly commands you to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, you're negotiating, right? Just had a conversation with a guy yesterday, and I told him, I said, I feel like I'm supposed to tell you this. I said, personally, I don't really care because it's not my life, right? It's not my circus, not my monkeys. Do whatever you want, right? This is not coming from me, but I feel like I have to say this to you. And if I don't say this to you, nothing, I, I'm going to, the Lord's going to keep going at me to tell it to you. And I told him, I felt, because he asked me to pray for him and all this stuff. And I said, you negotiate terms. I said, the Lord is telling me to tell you that every time he gives you an instruction, you want to negotiate terms. Negotiating terms as far as vision, the Lord's open. But when he gives you a specific instruction, it's not open to negotiation. If the Lord tells you to leave, you can negotiate the timing of it. You can negotiate certain things with him, but you can't take what he's told you and manifest it into something that he didn't tell you. God told him to give something, and he attached all these terms to it. I don't care. Again, not my circus, not my monkeys. I really don't care. 
but it was made known to me through several channels, and I just went with him. And I said, did you, did, what did the Lord tell you? And he said this, and I said, you're adding terms on, I kept seeing gray. He was asking me to pray for him last week, and I was praying for him, and I kept seeing gray. You know, I prayed for him, but I was just like, why am I seeing gray? And I felt like the Lord said black and white. He negotiates between the two. I give him specific instructions, and he blends it and, and creates gray. And I asked him, I said, do you have a lot of confusion? He said, I do. I said, because you're double-minded, you know, or you're trying to negotiate something that God told you to do. I said, you're asking something from the Lord. This is what happens. You ask something from Jesus, you know what he's going to do? He's going to hear you. You ask something from Jesus, you know what he's going to do? He's going to begin to instruct you into it. The problem is, is we don't like the instructions. We just want him to give it to us. Lord, I want to be transformed. I want to know you more. I want to experience the life that I know you've come to give me. Start going to church. Oh, I can't do that. <laughs> oh, come on, right? This is what we do. When you ask him for something, it is his intention in his will to give it to you. This guy's asking for huge things. I said, if you can't be faithful with that, and you can't follow the instruction that he gives you at this level, you're disqualifying yourself from the higher level. He's, it's not going to happen. It just isn't. You can't, do, you can't negotiate. When you run, the storm, you have, you're, in the, you're in the danger. of Things are, things are going to, listen, you run from Jesus. Anybody here with me? You break covenant with church and you just go off and do your own thing. Things start falling apart, don't they? Yeah. Quicker than you think. You're thinking, I'm going to make it a year or two before this stuff starts falling apart. You might make it three weeks, right? And everything starts falling apart. Within an hour, eh? we got one right here, right? Things start falling apart. And you know what you do? It says the sailors were terrified, and it, you get desperate. You get, sailors were terrified, and in desperation, they called out to each, uh, each one began to call out to their own gods. So what happens? You break covenant, you break relationship, you go your own way, and things start falling apart. You get desperate. You start calling out to Oprah Winfrey and Dr. Phil and Netflix and Jack Daniels. That's what you do. That's what they did right? Everything's falling apart. They're desperate, and each one began to call upon their own God, all right? I call upon Oscar Mayer Bologna. Come down and save us. Everyone is calling on their own God because of the separation. Then not only did they do that, they started throwing stuff overboard. They weren't even thinking about what they're doing. The whole reason for the trip was because of the merchandise, the value. They were throwing valuable things out of their life. Why? Because they, everything was falling apart, they were desperate. Why? Because they had gone the wrong way, Jonah had taken them the wrong way, willful disobedience, unwillingness to commit, unwillingness to submit, unwillingness to follow. Things begin negotiating terms, right? God negotiates. I want to be clear on that. But there are some levels where he's not negotiating, right? If you've not created, I'm going to tell you this is a fact, if you've not created a standard of obedience... In your life, there's no negotiation. I just told a guy, when the Lord starts asking you what you think or what you want, you've hit the next level. Because you've, you've, there's some basis of, of obedience in your life that enables him to communicate with you. He's not going to communicate with you about next level things if you cannot do basic obedience. You cannot run with the if You, you want to run with the horses, but you can't keep up with the footmen, the Bible says. You want to run like a stallion. You want to blaze around the track. And Jesus is like, let's start jogging first. Can we do that? Right? Can we start with the jogging? Can we start with some simple calisthenics? Light jog? 
You know, heart rate monitor, keep your pace. Let's start there. Let's build you up. Right? Do the basics. Do the boring. Do, the non do, do what you view as non-essential. Things start falling apart. Start calling on all these different things. Tarot. Another favorite story of mine. Right? Somebody gave me a t-shirt. Be careful, I'll end up in your sermon. You know? <laughs> but th this bears witness because it needs to be understood. And people come to me and tell me they did tarot two weeks ago. I'm like, what? I'm like, are you a born-again believer? Right? And you're doing this? And you're now you're wondering why all this chaos is in your life? I'm thinking to myself, what? Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. There's a lot wrong with that. Just, just the story, guys. We got to like, you know, fix me, Jesus. I don't know what's going on. And I was sitting with this person, and I heard in my heart, because she was talking about tarot or something, and I think, I'm thinking, oh, that was like probably like 20 years ago. And, I, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at her, and here the Holy Spirit directly tell me, said, ask her the last time she did tarot. And I looked at her, and I said, when's the last time you did tarot? She goes, 10 days ago. <laughs> oh, and you open the door, and you think the devil's not going to take it? You invite him in, you think he's not going to rob you? The enemy, you give him an inch, a mile isn't even what he takes. He'll take the whole state. He'll take everything. He will strip it and leave you with nothing. He's without mercy, without compassion, and he makes his habitation a wasteland. So you want to create a habitation for the devil? You may as well get ready because he's going to make it a wasteland. That's a fact. They start throwing valuable things overboard, right? They start throwing relationships overboard. They start throwing friends overboard. They start throwing Jesus overboard. They start throwing everything overboard, right? When you run, what's going to happen? You're going to lose perspective because the wind is going to be contrary. Things are going to start falling apart. You're going to freak out, and you're going to probably start calling on the gods of the culture in some way, right? Oh, come on out. Let's go to the club, man. You'll feel better. You know, come on. Marriage is falling apart. Hey, man. This is my friend Julie. Julie likes married guys, damn. Desperate, falling apart, right? Call upon the God of the culture, right? It's true. Say, my running's only going to make it worse. It's going to get better, I promise you. I'm almost there. I got to get to the good stuff because I'm, right? Says, oh, oh this, is, this one's good, right? Say, my running will only make it worse. Watch, this, this, this is... To me, this one's, to me, at least for me. Now the storm is getting worse, and the waves got rougher. And so they asked Jonah, what do you think we should do to stop here? And Jonah tells him, he's like, look, man, I'm a Hebrew. I serve the God of the sky and the sea. They're like, your God is the sea God? And they're like, yeah, among other things. And they're, and they're like, God told me to do something. I decided not to do it, and now the storm is upon us. I see you, Shelly. I see that hand. She's reminding me of communion. I see that hand in the name of Jesus. And so they're like, are you crazy? What, you brought this upon us. So Jonah's like, look, just throw me in the water and everything's going to be calm. But they said, nah, that's godly advice, right? So they, he gave them the, the advice, the godly advice. But it says instead, instead, the sailors tried harder and they tried to row back to the ship. They couldn't turn it around for the storm was raging and out of control. So what's going on here? It got out of control. They couldn't turn it around. So what did they do? They just tried harder, right? They didn't turn to the Lord. They didn't look to the Lord. They didn't call upon God. This is what we do. Things get out of control. We can't turn it around. 
And so what we do is like, I'm going to just try harder. I'm going to try harder. It's not human effort. Human effort isn't going to get it done. Human effort can get, take you someplace, but it's not getting you across the goal line. Whole, human effort might get you in field goal range, but it's not, you're not going to punch it in with human effort. Just not. Say this. Here we go. Last thing. Last couple things. When I follow Jesus, everything calms down. <laughs> Happy day. It says, finally, the sailors called out to Jonah's God. They'd exhausted it. They tried everything. They called out to cultural gods. They threw stuff overboard. They tried to, you know, and none of that happened. And they said, so they called out to Jonah's God. They said, don't let us die because of this man's life. <laughs> don't let us die because of this dude. And please don't hold us responsible for his death because, of you, because you, O Lord, have sent this storm upon us for a purpose. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And say it with me. Immediately, the storm calmed down. When you make a pivot, immediately it's going to change. The circumstances are going to change. I don't even have time to get into this because i got two more and i got to get to communion. But when you, when you make the change, the storm will calm. The storm will calm. When you take responsibility for the positioning of yourself into that action, you say, Lord, I did this. I repent. I broke it. I don't know what I was thinking. I need your help. I need you to tell me what to do. I'll partner with you. I'll move forward with this. Everything calms down. Everything calms down. Say this, when I do what Jesus wants, people will come to him. When the sailors saw this happen, they were awestruck by the greatness of his God, and they worshipped him. And they offered sacrifices and made commitments to the God of heaven. There are people in your family who need Jesus. Are you the hold up? Some of you, you have people in your lives, and the Lord's been telling you, invite this person to church, do this, do whatever. Engage them. I don't know what he's telling you, but there are people in your life that God is calling you to engage at some level, and you won't. And you won't. You don't feel you have what it takes. We have a six-pack of cards over there, right? Six-pack. Six-pack for Jesus. Just invite cards. You don't, you're not, maybe you're not Billy Graham or whatever, but you can invite someone. The hurting, the painful, the, the, the people, people's lives are a mess. People need hope right? The odds are if you invite 10 people, you're going to get one. Those are the odds. You might get nine no's, that's okay, but you're going to get one. And to the Lord, it's always about the one. Problem is, is we invite one person, they don't come, and then we go in the corner and suck our thumb because we think we're a failure, right? No, you invite 10, right? It's in the masses. We go to, we go to the highways and the byways and compel them, wherever, whatever, whenever. Jesus said the nobles won't come. He's like, go to the street, go to the alleys, Go, go, you know, you can't get these e elites to come. You can't even get my own people to come. Then go find the outcasts and keep hitting them until they come. No, it's true. It's true. All right, almost done. <laughs> do it, say it with me. Do what Jesus wants, and he'll provide a supernatural turnaround. Supernatural turnaround. He'll turn it around. Yeah. It says, now the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow up Jesus. That word prepared is commissioned. The Lord's looking down, he goes, all right, that one. It means not only did he commission the fish, he chose a fish, guided the fish, ordained the fish is another word. If you think ordination's important, well then, you know, Jesus ordained a fish. It's a place where he ordained a whale. Ants were ordained, so ordination apparently in God's eyes is not really that big of a deal. So just that's being the same thing. What? what are you talking about? 
I mean, it's important, but, you know. Now the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was inside the well for three days. He commissioned this fish. God, you say, how is that possible? Be, do you know who he is? And you're like, is this story even real? Of course, it, Jesus validated this story. As Jonah was in the belly of the well, or the belly of the fish, he didn't use the word well. He says, Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so must son of man be in the heart of the earth validates the story he validates Noah's story as it was in the days of Noah what does that mean he's validating that story those stories might seem so surreal to you but they are realities this is a supernatural God who brings a supernatural means that when his servants submitted to him God brought a supernatural means to turn it all around do you need a supernatural means to turn it all around is your marriage falling apart and you need a supernatural means to turn around? Is your finances, is your future? Well, I don't know what's falling apart. I don't know what storm it is. But when you give yourself to the deep things of God, the deep waters, and cast yourself into the seas of his mercy, into the seas of his grace, into the rivers of his power and, the, and who he is, God will provide a supernatural turnaround. The fish came and took him and turned him around, right? Everything got turned around. We're just going to say this generically. Just say this. Dear Jesus, I repent, I renounce, and I break covenant with any and all willful, on my, willful actions on my part that have defied and denied what I know to do is right. I sever those relationships. I sever that relationship with my self-will, and I humbly submit to your spirit. I ask you to show me what I need to do, show me how to do it, to grant me not just the wisdom and the understanding, but to give me the courage and the boldness to step out. I choose a life in the unknown, and I renounce and break covenant with a life of denial in the familiar past. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I submit myself to you. Any and all areas of my life where I need greater understanding, of what and how I have put myself in the storm. I give, yourself, I give you permission to reveal it to me. Any and all areas of my life where I have willfully opposed you and have taken action against your calling, your destiny, and your purpose in my life, I give you permission to reveal it to me. And I humbly lay it before you. And I commission myself to go another way. In Jesus' name, I want to say this. It's legal. This is my statement of record. Come on. This is my statement of record before the court of heaven. And I deny all statements. And I renounce all statements to the contrary. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We love you guys out there. God loves you. We love you. Bless you very much. We're going to take communion here at Elevate. So we're going to do... You want to come up? So we're going to do a little music. So what we're going to do is she's playing. Just come up and grab the elements and bring them back to your seat with you. And we're going to take communion together.
why communion seems like a ritual act, it's given to us. There are two things that Jesus gave us as outward demonstrations. And these things are not just demonstrations, they're points of remembrance. But they're also points of departure. These are the things that with a declarative heart, we, we, we make known that we are separated. Baptism is a rite of separation. Being separated by your old life, it's a declarative act, it's a prophetic act that I'm separated from my own life and that I no longer live, but my, the life that I live, I live unto Christ. Communion's the same thing. It's not only a remembering of the sacrifice that Jesus gave to us and the price that he paid, but it's also the joy in knowing that by this sacrifice, you are no longer born of the earth, Christian. You're, you're no longer born of the earth. You're born of heaven's blood. You were born of a greater inheritance, a greater life, and a greater beginning. And Jesus paid a high price to give it to you. And if he paid that such a great price, then we ought to understand it. And we ought to take the entirety of our life and actively pursue everything that Jesus has died to give to us. And when he was, night he was going to be betrayed, Jesus gathered and he had a dinner party. I love that. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He's partying and he knows he's going to die the next day. He goes out into the garden and he's singing. Why? Because this is the day the Lord has made. This is the day upon which all of time has been pouring to, the day of redemption. The day when I will give my life, that it will open the womb, that I might, man might be born again. And he told his disciples and he broke the bread with them and he said, every time you do this, I want you to remember me. Because what I'm doing for you is no small thing. Amen? I want you to hold it up. Say, this represents the body of Jesus that was given for me. It is no small thing. I believe it and I receive it. Let's take it together. They had the wine in a cup called redemption. Jesus said, this is my blood which is given to you. You're not born of the earth. You're not born of the first Adam anymore. You're born of the last Adam. You're sons and daughters. You're heirs of this world and the one to come eternally with an inheritance, adopted with full rights of inheritance on day one. This is who you are to me. Let's hold it up. So this represents the blood of Jesus was given for me. I am born not of the earth. Lion's blood is in my veins. The blood of a king is in my veins. Jesus alone is my God. And I renounce all false idols, all actions of worship apart from him, whether by ignorance or by arrogance. I just got to tell you what I'm hearing. This is my statement of record before the court of heaven. And I renounce all other statements and decrees to the contrary. This is no small thing. I believe it and I receive it. Let's take it together. Amen. All right. One more blessing. Come on. God said he wants you blessed and you're coming in and blessed and you're going out. Deuteronomy 28. He commanded Moses to pray over his people. He said, every time your people gather, I want this prayer spoken. So it's the priestly prayer over a priestly people. It declares the willful intent of God's heart to you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. 
and may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.